The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines this hour. JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon issuing a stark warning on major economic storm clouds ahead as the Federal Reserve moves aggressively to wind back pandemic-era policy amid surging inflation. Right now, it's kind of sunny. Things are doing fine. You know, everyone thinks the, the Fed can handle this. That hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way. U.S. stocks make a weak start to June as recession concerns weigh. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen telling CNBC the White House is working on multiple fronts to ease inflationary price pressures. Inflation is way too high and it's really a big burden on American households. And so um, maintaining full employment while bringing inflation down, that's the president's priority. Crude prices come under pressure ahead of today's OPEC Plus meeting amid a report that Saudi Arabia could step up production if Russian output dips under sanctions. Elsewhere, Sandberg out. The long-serving Meta COO, Sheryl Sandberg, has announced that she will step down after 14 years at the social media giant, with Spaniard Javier Olivian stepping up as her replacement. big storm clouds are it's a hurricane it's we right now it's kind of sunny things are doing fine you know everyone thinks the, the fed can handle this that hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way we just don't know if it's a minor one or superstorm sandy or uh, yeah sandy or or uh andrew or something like that and it's you you better brace yourself so that was JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon warning of an economic hurricane on the horizon amid the war in Ukraine and Fed tightening. But Jamie Dimon said something very different just a week ago. Those uh, comments in contrast to what he said last week at the bank's investor day when he highlighted the strength of the US economy, adding there were, quote, storm clouds that may dissipate. Well, just a few days ago, Diamond also added that a recession is possible, but that it would not be like previous downturns. So what's going on here? Apart from uh, Jamie Diamond having a good line on weather illusions, it does seem over the course of the last seven days that Jamie Diamond has taken a slightly different tack on the direction for the US economy. What has happened over the last seven days? I think we need to spend... A bit of time over the course of the program this morning with our guests trying to understand why Jamie Dimon has become more negative. Is it a, a case of the, the bank's got all of its interest rate hedges uh, now in place? Um, who knows? But we will have a good conversation with many of our guests this morning about exactly why some of these bankers are getting a little bit more nervous. And for more on Diamond's economic warning and his attack on woke stakeholder capitalism, check out CNBC 
Com. So Jamie Dimon has gone all in, Karen. Not only is he now negative on the US economy, he's also having a little jab at the woke community. Plenty of bears out there ready to listen, Jeff. So no doubt uh, felt somewhat relieved to see that Jamie Dimon also saw major storm clouds on the horizon too. And let's get uh, to, to some of the comments from the Central Bank. And uh, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly has said that she backs aggressive hiking rates uh, this is uh, the central bank, uh, until the central bank can get inflation under control. Speaking to CNBC, Daly said high prices are hurting American customers. I certainly am comfortable to do what it takes to get inflation trending down to the level we need it to be. I really think these high inflation numbers have been going on too long. And consumers and businesses, all everyday Americans are depending on us to get inflation back down and, and, and bridling it. And so the reason I'm not forecasting beyond the next couple of meetings is because I don't know what else the data are going to give us. We've seen financial conditions tighten. We've seen some early leading indicators that say that slow, they're slowing in growth numbers, but we aren't really there yet. So we need to continue to see those data on a slowing economy, bringing demand and supply back in balance. And I need to see some real progress on inflation. Otherwise, I would think we just move the rate until we find ourselves at least at neutral. Meanwhile, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard has called on the FOMC to hike rates along the lines expected by the market, saying its previous guidance is already having an effect on the economy. Bullard has been one of the most hawkish members of the Fed in recent months, calling for an aggressive approach to tackling inflation. Terrific, Karen. Thank you very much indeed for that. So why is James Bullard all of a sudden so vociferous about the need to go hard on interest rates? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because, you know, just thinking back um, to the old days, James Bullard used to be somewhere in the middle of the pack. But increasingly over the last six months, he has become a lot tougher with his language than many of the other Fed speakers here. And it is doing some damage to the markets, not just James Bullard, but the general tone of we've got to get aggressive on fighting inflation. And it's taking the shine off the upside of these markets as obviously investors are trying to reprice what earnings are going to look like in a tougher interest rate uh, scenario. So here we go. Uh, as we kicked off June, which as I was saying yesterday is generally a bit of a lacklustre month anyway for upside performance according to the stock market almanac. But yesterday, the first trading day, we saw markets generally weak across the board with the Nasdaq down three um, a quarters of uh, one percentage point and the same kind of performance for the S&P 500 here. And I tried to bring something new, if I can, to the wall for you each time. So I think it's just worth focusing for a moment here on volumes, because volumes um, can tell you something about engagement. And if you have a sell-off in a high-volume day, often that will tell you that the <clears throat> overwhelming sentiment is to get away from the long side of the market here. But yesterday was a, a very weak day in terms of volumes. Perhaps that tells you that even as we were lower across the board here, the conviction wasn't strong on the selling. And, and let me just illustrate what I mean here. For the Spider S&P 500, we saw 66.1 million shares traded. That was below its 30-day average volume of 112.5 
million at, at the point where uh, uh, the measure was taken. And in terms of the uh, QQQ Invesco uh, shares traded 54.2 million, which was again significantly below the 30-day average volume of 91.4 million shares. So just have a think about that. As you weigh the declines, I would argue that not Every day is the same, even though the percentage decline may be similar, because you have to look at the volume to give you a sense of conviction. And what we're seeing at the moment is trading sessions where conviction is light. Just out of interest, while I have my piece of paper with me, I know it's not great television, but it is informative. In terms of the Dow decline yesterday, the most positive stock was actually Salesforce. We talked a lot about Mark Benioff's comments around the dollar yesterday and the positive outlook that they had. The most negative, Goldman Sachs, down 37 points, which probably tells you something about why Jamie Dimon is getting a little bit negative about the outlook for earnings for the banks. Let's have a look at those US banks just to see how they did in the round. And there you go. Uh, What is it about the rising interest rate environment and the state of the markets that Jamie Dimon doesn't like? Well, I think illustrative of that sentiment is the fact that we saw the U.S. banks weak across the board here. And it wasn't just the investment banks, which you would imagine would take some pain if capital market activity is reduced or at least the trend is uh, for lower volume activity. But we also uh, saw it, of course, in those um, retail banks like Wells Fargo uh, that are much more focused on the uh, uh, state of the economy overall. So it's a Wall Street and a Main Street story here that is driving just some weakness in the banking sector. What about the Treasuries then? Did we get much movement in the Treasuries yesterday? Well, here we are on the 10-year note. As, as um, sometimes we see, not always, but sometimes we see money coming out of the stock market driven towards the, um, uh, the Treasury market. Uh, yesterday was a bit of a day where nobody really wanted to play, and ultimately we saw the yields up to 2.9%, but we're still shy of that 3% mark. But interesting, across what they call the belly of the curve, the middle of the curve here, we saw both the yields on the five-year and the 10-year rise. Um, Let's also show you what's going on with oil, because there's been a lot of talk over the last 24 hours as to exactly what this OPEC Plus meeting Um, is delivering and what it means for the price for WTI and Brent and whether there will be more oil coming onto the market. Here you can see we're a little bit easier on the quotes this morning, down nearly 2% on WTI and Brent crude. And I think part of the reason is maybe we don't have a great deal of firm news, but we do know that President Biden is going to Saudi Arabia very shortly. So perhaps that sends a signal that the American president either thinks he's going to get some uh, relief on the oil story or indeed the, the president is going with something to offer the Saudis which may encourage them to uh, pump a little bit more oil at the moment and take the pressure off the American and global consumer. Asian markets, uh, well, it's, it's uh, 
I was going to say it's a mixed picture, but maybe that would be uh, telling you an untruth here because generally the tone has been pretty weak and that's really followed on from the legacy of the performance that we saw in the United States overnight, Karen. And Jeff, let's take a look at the data and the quits rate in particular. The JOLTS uh, job openings in the United States fell by nearly half a million in the month of April, according to the latest JOLTS survey. That helped to narrow the gap between openings and available workers to 5.4 million, which is still high by historical standards, but lower than in March. Meanwhile, ISM manufacturing PMI came in at 56.1 in May. That was higher than the previous month. The employment component of the index reached 49.6 in May, showing that companies expected to cut back on the pace of hiring. And that is consistent with a lot of the reports we've heard, uh, particularly if you think about it from the technology sector, where there's been a series of cutbacks now around the growth story. Well, speaking to our U.S. colleagues, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said a positive employment picture remained a priority for the Biden administration. Inflation is way too high and it's really a big burden on American households. And so um, maintaining full employment while bringing inflation down, that's the president's priority. So Janet Yellen there, but something really strange is going on because even as we've got these very high inflation prints driven largely by energy and food, some of the fundamental commodities that are essential for the global economy and for the US economy are actually down year to date. Let's have a quick look at copper, if we can. Uh, and in terms of the year to date performance, as you can see in the top right hand corner, we are off about two and a quarter of 1% in terms of the year to date performance on the LME copper quote. Um, and lumber, a lumber is essential for the, for the construction of homes and for the manufacture of, of pallets that um, uh, products sit on as they're shipped all around the world here. And if you look at the lumber price, it is down uh, nearly 50% here. And a lot of that decline has happened in recent weeks. So what's going on? Janet Yellen's talking about the need to grapple with this high inflation print. And yet some of the fundamental commodities for the global economy are actually weakening so far. Carl Weinberg is with us, Chief Economist and Managing Director at High Frequency Economics. Carl, good morning to you. I hope you can decode what exactly we're seeing here because there are a lot of contraindicators for economists to weigh at the moment. Absolutely, Jeff. Good morning to you. Uh, we've got so many different threads going on in the economy right now. Uh, the global economy looks very different from the U.S. economy. The U.S. economy is doing very well. And while we may worry about how long it will continue to do well and we're seeing cracks in that performance, it's still soldiering along and it needs to be restrained a bit. We look at Europe and we see clear signs that a recession is forming up. And that's, you know, 20% uh, of the world economy. And we look at China, we have serious economic performance problems related to the zero COVID uh, tolerance policies there. So that puts together a lot of the threads that we're talking about. We see interest rates in the U.S. going up and likely to rise a lot. Also in Canada, North America in general, we see Europe where interest rate hikes are going to be much more modest and may not last as long as the Fed. And we look at China, and we have a problem that we don't know when it's going to go away that just now is beginning to affect supply chains in North America and Europe. It's a very complicated global outlook. Jamie Dimon is, um, is talking about the hurricane coming. He seems to have 
changed his opinion over the last seven days, Carl, on how bad the risks are for the US economy at this stage. We always think bankers are talking their books, so let's just, let, let's just accept that that may be the case here. But what do you think Jamie Dimon's looking at that has made him worried? Yeah, so full disclosure at High Frequency Economics, we don't have a book. We just try to get the story straight for the people who are listening to us. And uh, we see five factors out there right now that threaten the global economy and global financial markets, any one of which could, could stop the whole thing very shortly. I mean, higher energy prices could cause the world to stop on, uh, on a dime. Uh, a total uh, shutdown of Russian exports to Europe could shut the European economy down in a heartbeat. And, and that in itself, if it doesn't go perfectly right, means big trouble uh, for Europe. We're looking at supply chain issues from China affecting supply. We're looking at the consumer folding in the face of energy prices rising faster than other prices and rising faster uh, than incomes. We're looking at markets that were frothy to begin with, leaving nobody any shame about taking profits and waiting to see what happens for a while. We've got a lot of things, all of which have to go right in order to avert some kind of a global economic setback. So I think the risks are extremely high right now. It's hard to pinpoint the probabilities that any of them are going, in particular, are going to go wrong. But it's also hard to bet that all of them are going to go right. Carl, a lot of investors have been looking at the cash pile. That's the amount of money that U.S. consumers have built up in savings since the onslaught of the crisis, so all of the extra stimulus checks. And, you know, Jamie Dimon was effectively saying that six to nine months of spending power left. But he was also just getting to the weeds on whether consumers are starting to spend that more as inflation is starting to bite. Just give us a sense of how that plays out, because, I mean, you know, inflation is new to a lot of people. They're not used to uh, rising prices month after month. And, you know, what can we see in terms of this cash pile being dwindled or dwindling down faster than expected? Yeah, I, I think Mr. Diamond has his, his finger right on one of the key issues facing uh, the economy, the strength of the consumer. How long can it last? We already see record credit card debt being run up. We see the savings rates starting to come down. So we, we draw these trends together and at some point access to credit has to end and at some point savings will have to be uh, diminished. And of course, the higher oil prices go, the less other stuff those savings will buy. So this is, you know, where we are. We, we do have an economy that's extremely strong right now. That's the message the Fed is looking at. And it has to be restrained a little bit in order to keep prices from overheating. I get that. Everybody gets that. But that's probably not forever. History shows that every boom has been followed by a bust. We're in a boom right now, but we're looking now for the initial signs, and we're seeing them, that there is a bust on the way, and we should be uh, aware of that, that, th that this is not forever. Can we talk about one of the potential casualties then? Because the Fed a couple of weeks back was pointing to the unemployment rate and whether that had to go up because of the inflation rate. Janet Yellen effectively saying that she wanted still this positive employment outlook. And I'm guessing she's talking about uh, growth quarter after quarter, not just a positive feeling about the employment market. But we're already seeing cutbacks. And that's across the board from various different companies that were once investing heavily, namely technology. Are you concerned that we are going to start to see that unemployment rate tick higher? Yeah, I'm sure we will as the economy slows. Uh, we will see that. I mean, right now we have a huge uh, uh, number of unfilled positions out there. You mentioned that uh, in the earlier part of the program when you were reading the numbers. We've got two job openings for every person who's looking for a job. That's 
unprecedented and we've never seen it before, but it's not going to last forever. In particular, we've seen some really big employers who have been important in this employment story, not just in technology, but just in stuff. Uh, Amazon, which by itself, you know, took half a percentage point off the unemployment rate. They say they've got enough workers right now and, and they're looking to stabilize or maybe even cut back. You know, this is the sign that we've gotten to the point where we, we not only have enough, but we might have gone too far and we'll start to see cutbacks. We heard read in the Fed's beige book, all right, that some districts were talking about a recession and some districts were talking about things slowing down. So yes, the unemployment rate is going to go up as the economy slows, and that's going to take that's going to be our relief factor for the prices that are affected by the US economy. But we still have this problem in the energy markets that's not going to go away. And for me, the bigger risk to the world economy right now is not that all prices are rising and we're going to get an inflation. That may or may not happen. I'm still not convinced about that. But that the rise in energy prices relative to all other prices and to incomes makes everyone poorer. And to me, that's the weakest link in the chain right now for all of the economies around the world. It's why we're seeing consumer spending go down in Europe. Look at the figures on retail sales that we've seen this week from Germany and from France. And it's, it's, it's what's making us poorer rather than richer, even in this time of prosperity. Carl, so John Hussman in his uh, latest note says uh, long-term returns in financial markets are almost entirely driven by math. Uh, he would say math rather than maths as, a, as an American, but short-term returns are almost entirely driven by psychology. So my question to you is, as you look at the way financial markets are behaving at the moment, do you think that they have correctly calibrated the terminal rate on interest rates at this stage, or are these markets being frightened by Fed speakers like Jim Bullard, who are coming at this inflation story with a very hawkish tilt. Yeah, so I can do the maths too, as well as, as you, uh, Jeff, um, but uh, I'm not intimidated by that. But I do think that um, the markets are pricing in the Fed story as played out by the, the hawks on the Fed right now, uh, and in Europe, uh, and in, uh, uh, and in uh, um, uh, the rest of the world. Uh, but I don't think that those expectations are going to be realized. I think that's the question that, that that's at the root of what you just posed to me. Um, I think that uh, the economy is going to turn on the central banks faster than the central banks themselves anticipate and certainly faster than the markets anticipate. And that's going to lead to interest rate increases falling short of expectations. And uh, at that point, I don't think central banks will have to roll back interest rates to where they were because real interest rates are abjectly negative, historically negative right now. So all that the, the rate hikes that they are going to accomplish will do is to reduce the amount of positive stimulus, but never get to the point where real rates are positive and where monetary policy is actually restraining activity. And I think the market is prepared to see the, the Fed and other central banks, the Bank of Canada, go to the moon, and I don't think they're going to get very far out of orbit. Carl, um, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for, for being with us. And I, I guess you probably stayed up to have a little toast to the Queen for the uh, Platinum Jubilee. Just look, what might have been? She could have been your Queen as well if it wasn't for that pesky tea party. 
<laughs> well, my house was built by English people in 1760, so I owe a great debt to the uh, English influence in this part of the world. Yeah, well, terrific that it's still standing. Thank you so much, Carl. It's uh, a bit of pleasure catching up. Carl Weinberg, Chief Economist and Managing Director at High Frequency Economics. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, we will talk some more about the, uh, the Queen's Jubilee a little bit later on in the programme. Um, there is just a chance that the UK economy could be spared from recession by the binge of eating pies and going to parties and uh, effectively uh, partying through the next four days. We'll take you to Buckingham Palace a little bit later on in the programme. So don't miss that. And on a programming note, don't miss our US colleagues' exclusive interview with the Fed Vice Chair, Lael Brainard. That's coming up at 1600 Central European time. So reports that Saudi Arabia could increase production to make up for a drop in Russian output, sending crude prices lower. We'll get an update on the story when we come back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Russian forces have reached the center of Severodonetsk in the industrial city in the country's east. Ukraine says Russia now controls around 70% of that city. The Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has hit out at the United States after it announced a further $700 million worth of military aid for Ukraine, including rocket launchers. Lavrov accused America of, quote, adding fuel to the fire and said the support increased the risk of a third country being dragged into the conflict. Despite Biden's statement, he will not help Ukraine strike beyond its borders. Meanwhile, Russia has failed to make an interest payment on one of its bonds, triggering $2.5 billion worth of credit default swaps after a ruling by the Credit Derivatives Determinations Committee. Russia appeared to stave off, or had appeared to stave off, an historic default when it made debt payments in early May, but didn't include almost $2 million in accrued interest, leading to the committee's ruling. Oil is under pressure in early trade as investors take some profits after yesterday's rally. And I just reports that Saudi Arabia is ready to up production if EU sanctions hit Russian output. This is Markets Eye, the OPEC Plus meeting taking place later on today. Let's get out to Dan for more. Dan, there's a lot to unpack here. One of the big questions is what happens to price stability from here, whether we've had uh, a lot of pressure applied through back channels between the Americans to the Saudis, or whether this is the Saudis genuinely concerned that they are losing control of the price. What do you make of the developments that we're hearing? Indeed. And when you look at the current scenario, 
wargaming, I guess you could say. It is likely that OPEC Plus will stick to this planned output increase next month when they meet today, but there's just too much smoke for there not to be some kind of fire when it comes to the future of this agreement, because in the lead up to the meeting today, we've seen reporting in the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times, which has really raised two quick key questions. The first being, will Russia be granted exemptions from its production quotas? And the second is, will producers with some spare capacity like Saudi Arabia and the UAE step in to fill that gap? And what we've seen is oil prices, as you can see on your screen, actually falling in the lead up to this meeting. Markets perhaps getting a little spooked by the prospect of more supply coming onto the market, at least in this current dynamic of higher prices. But remember as well, oil rallied to almost $125 a barrel this week after the EU announced that partial ban on Russian oil. And that means Russian production is likely to decline while the market grows increasingly tight. And we know that OPEC has also granted exemptions to countries like Libya, Venezuela and Iran in the past. So there is a chance that Russia could join that list. But listening into some of the latest commentary from analysts like Amrita Sen at Energy Aspects, for example, she told CNBC just in the last few hours that that is not something that's on the table, at least for today. But it could be an issue from September onwards when this current deal expires. So a lot to unpack as we come into this OPEC meeting later on today, guys. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.